I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. On most of the episodes of The Distiller, we talk to people about their jobs and how the work they do to pay the bills coincides with what they might consider meaningful work, how it fulfills their personal, spiritual, or creative needs while at the same time putting food on the table. But for a lot of people, the work they do isn't considered either meaningful or work by society. This is true for retirees, for the disabled, and in the case of today's guest, for stay-at-home parents. Liz McEwen is a stay-at-home mom who homeschools her four children. And as you'll hear, Liz is not necessarily your typical homeschool mom. Yes, she and her husband John are religious people, but they're far from the fundamentalist stereotypes that often get associated with homeschoolers. And Liz is far from whatever stereotypes you might assign to stay-at-home moms. Or maybe she's not. Maybe there's no such thing. I loved speaking with Liz about her orientation to ideas of work and value. We talked at length about the mechanics of homeschooling for kids and about the choices and sacrifices involved in doing so. My favorite part of our conversation was hearing Liz talk about her conception of the value of work and her relationship with our cultural norms around occupation and vocation. Liz is thoughtful, genuine, and informed. She's not towing anybody's party line, and I love that about her. Liz and I met on a hot Tuesday afternoon in June at Sundry and Vice, a beautiful apothecary-themed craft cocktail bar in Cincinnati's historic Over the Rhine neighborhood. Over a Hefeweizen for Liz and an old-fashioned for me, we settled in and talked about what meaningful work means for a stay-at-home mom without a, air quotes, job. Here's my conversation with Liz McEwen on The Distiller. The podcast, the distiller's podcast about meaningful work, how we find mm. meaning in the work we do, how we find meaningful work ourselves. Mm. Part of that discussion has to be that there are certain ways that we define work that mm. leave other people out. And I particularly wanted to talk to you um, as the beginning of trying to get those voices into the podcast. Mm -hmm. So you are a stay-at-home mom. There's lots of, we were talking, there's a lots, lots of potentially negative words around that homemaker, homeschooling mom, mm -hmm. but you are someone who has made a decision, who has been in the professional world and has mm -hmm. made a decision to stay home and spend at least a few years of your life finding meaning in the time that you spend with your kids. Um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about what happened before that. And we don't need to do a whole mm -hmm. big context setting thing, but um, tell people a little bit about what you did leading up to the decision to, to stay home and to leave the workforce? Sure. Um, well, fresh out of college, mm -hmm. I uh, was relatively aimless professionally. Um, and I ended up moving to Cincinnati, where I had little to no connections, apart from a boyfriend who lived here. Mm -hmm. And I ended up applying for AmeriCorps. Right. So I did AmeriCorps for two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I worked in environmental education. Okay. I worked in a nature center up in Price Hill. Gotcha. And um, I did, you know, so it was education, teaching kids in the woods and school programs, but then also public programs, um, after school programs, things like that. And after those two years uh, were up, um, I looked into other like nonprofit sector jobs. Yeah. Ended up working at Keeps Cincinnati Beautiful mm -hmm. after that and started. Um, in education as well. And my background academically was not in education, but... Um, What's your degree in? <laughs> worship arts. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, and marketable skill. <laughs> very marketable skill, if you are going to work in a church. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, But fresh out of school, I knew that I was not ready or willing at the time to do that. And so okay. I had all these skills in communication and I had done some like youth ministry. So I was really comfortable working with kids and I loved being outdoors. So actually my first job, that job um, at the Nature Center was really a good fit for me. Right. And then when I transitioned out of that, I looked into other, you know, social work types of things and ended up at Keeps Insane Beautiful where I started in the education department and I was teaching programs similar. Mm -hmm. um, and then I transitioned into um, like a community organizing type of role mm -hmm. and worked um, organizing the Great American Cleanup in Cincinnati, which was this huge community cleanup event, thousands of volunteers throughout the course of the year. And um, 
a few years into my job there, my son was born. Okay. And I guess I, when we found out that we were pregnant, we were not very clear on what the plan was for my job. Okay. Um, we didn't really talk about it much, uh, but I think there was always this unspoken assumption that I did not intend to be working full-time once this baby was born, but that was about all. Okay. And then... And, and would you say that was true of both of you? Yeah. Unspoken... Yeah, well, we had had, you know, all these hypothetical conversations before we were married about what a family looked like mm-hmm. uh, to us, and that was sort of one of the underlying assumptions was that if we had kids, which we intended to, that they would be raised by us at home right. rather than outsourced elsewhere. So we... Um, so when my son was born and I told my boss, you know, I want to stay here, but there's just no way I'm going to be full-time. Um, she was really understanding and actually super supportive of that. She had been like a career mom with two young kids and she actually let me like bring a baby to work and, um, you know, for as long as it was reasonable. Right. Um, I went down to like super part-time, was working two or three days a week and somehow found like really affordable, awesome childcare in my house during those two days. Um, and I just never ended up going back full time. And that was, um, it was never like a hard and fast rule that I communicated to my boss, but it was something that I think she kind of always understood that I was not. You weren't coming <laughs> I was back. Not coming she wasn't back. holding the job for you. And, you know, I mean, I was part time, so it wasn't like I had any benefits, right. you know, in the wings or anything. But um, yeah, so I just never went back full time. And my job kind of transitioned into some different roles in the organization. That's kind of how the nonprofit world roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up doing the last few years I was there, I was in a communications role. So I was doing all the website and social okay. media and um, print media and things like that. So when I left officially, um, almost two years ago now, that was what okay. I was doing. I was the communications manager. Okay. So you have how many kids? Four. All right. And they're how old? Nine, six, Four and 18 months. Okay, so you you didn't immediately leave. You didn't say, first child's born, I'm out. Thanks, everybody. Uh, the oldest was seven, if I'm doing the math right-ish, when you left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you worked all, all through that time, sort of finding ways to make it work for you. Yeah, it was anywhere from, you know, like 12 hours a week at one point um, to I think there were a few weeks where I'd be 24 hours or 32. And a lot of it depended on... Um, you know, the season, because mm-hmm. the, the, the nature of the nonprofit was that it got busier during different right. seasons. And, um, but yeah, no, I didn't transition out right away. And I think part of that was just out of necessity. Like we did not, we didn't have a plan for how that would work financially for our family. Right. And my husband also works in the nonprofit sector. So it's not like, you know, he's got some super bougie job, you know, that right. <laughs> you know, I could just quit and call it a day. Um, so I think because we had no plan in place and because I also had like a really awesome work situation and my boss was really great about it, we just kind of let it slide for as long as it would. Mm-hmm. And by the time by the time my son was, like you said, seven, and he was actually starting second grade then, mm-hmm. I guess, and um, I was homeschooling and I thought like there's no way. I can do kindergarten, I can do first grade in one, one or two days a week, but right. there's just no way. Second, third, gonna, fourth grade. This is going to work. Yeah. Um, and then I was expecting my fourth child, and I was like, there is no way I can raise four kids, you know, yeah. but and homeschool, somewhat, and work out, out of the house, and be able to afford right. a babysitter that would actually be willing <clears throat> to watch these four kids two days a week. But still, I mean, it's pretty amazing that you had three kids who yeah. <laughs> are still working. I mean, the fourth was obviously sort yeah. of like the, the straw that broke the well, proverbial camel's back. And I think back. that, you know, there's... um three and a half years between my third and fourth kid. And I think that that was, mm. I think we knew that we wanted a fourth, but I was like, how are we going to make this work logistically? Yeah. It's just, yep. uh, I, I just knew it wasn't possible without really forcing the situation, which yeah. was like, I either had to put them in school or I needed to stay right. home. So prior to that decision, coming to that realization that like now's the time, mm. how how closely tied would you say your work was with your identity? Um, you talk, I mean, I loved my work and I, you know, I'm such an idealist that I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever had a job that I was not proud of. Mm. And, um, 
You know, there was one year where I was like selling running shoes, <laughs> uh, which was really funny. But uh, the year after college, I was selling running shoes at a sporting goods store. But, you know, I was doing it as a means to an end. I had a boyfriend out of town and I was yeah. playing a lot of music on the weekend. So it was the perfect job because it was flexible. Right. Apart from that, everything else I've ever done, I've been really excited about. And you so, weren't super proud of the shoes? <laughs> uh, I was really good at selling shoes, actually. But I started to feel really bad about selling somebody like $150 running shoes for their 12-year-old kid. Right. You know, that they're going to grow out of in two weeks. But, um, yeah. So anyway, all this is to say that my, I don't know that it's been as much of an identity thing for me as like a, um, um, like an achievement thing or like a resume type of thing. Yeah, it hasn't been those things for you. Um, it has been those. Not oh, as has. much of an okay. identity thing. Gotcha. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it is funny, uh, you know, when you think about like meeting a stranger or being at a dinner party or a wedding and you meet somebody new, I mean, the first question yeah. is always, what do you do? Right. What's your job? You know, and, um, I will say that that has gotten a lot more complicated, you know, without a, a career or a job yeah. to hand off. How do you year. answer it? Do you have a pat? Um, I usually say, what do I usually say? I, I mean, depending on who it is, I kind of try to feel it out. But I mean, usually just something like I stay home with my four kids. We homeschool. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that opens up conversations and sometimes it shuts them down. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is what it is. So. Do you feel now that you are, I mean, you're fully into it. Four kids, no matter how long that sort of transition took. Mm -hmm. You are homeschooling full time in the city. Mm -hmm. four kids every day. Yeah. Um, number one, I feel like uh, the majority of people listening won't have any idea what that involves. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk about that a little bit because <clears throat> there are positive and negative perceptions out there. There are people that think homeschool, what a great choice for your kids. You're with them every day and that's wonderful and loving. And there are other people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum and might think about it negatively. Talk about the actual reality, apart from the politics and all of that. Talk yeah. about like curriculum choice and mm -hmm. development and how much time you spend planning, how much of it is free form and you go with the flow and how mm -hmm. much of it is, I know what I want to do and I know how to keep the kids on track for what they need to learn this year. Yeah. Well, one of the benefits I think of us starting homeschooling in the beginning was that when your kid is five, six years old, mm -hmm. um, there's not a whole lot that really needs to be done. Yeah. So our homeschooling has sort of evolved with my oldest son, which is awesome. Um, so his first two years may have been a little <laughs> janky, but uh, <laughs> he, he made it through. Pig. He was the guinea pig. Um, but uh, you know, we don't follow a, a really set written curriculum. Um, we have more of a sort of a guiding philosophy. So we follow like a loosely Charlotte Mason mm -hmm. style of homeschooling, um, which I'm sure people could look up and figure out what that means. But so for people that, that don't, I mean, uh, I w if you were to ask me, I would say based on tertiary knowledge uh -huh. that there's some similarity with like a Montessori mm -hmm. vibe. Is that true? It's, um, well, people most frequently compare it to like unschooling, even okay. though it is not unschooling. It's not child-led and it's not... Um, based only on real life situations, but it's not uh, based on really formal written curriculum. Okay. Um, it's mostly based on an atmosphere of education in a home. And so it's more of like a holistic um, lifestyle education uh, for a family. So it's not just a, a child with their work set yeah. aside from all their other responsibilities and daily occurrences. Um, and so it, there's a lot of literature involved, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of reading, not a lot of writing, not a lot of, um, not a lot of uh, like math mm -hmm. uh, worksheets. <laughs> a lot is taught in conversation and um, practical through literature and practical application. Um, and then there's also uh, a lot of like character and habit training. Hmm. So especially with young kids, um, a lot of it is about rhythm, daily rhythms, and um, teaching kids how to be attentive and responsible and um, the academics do come into play, but they're not the primary goal of education. Right. So, um, what so would, what would are, you say is the primary goal <laughs> of education then? Uh, to, 
as a parent or in like a broader sense? Like the primary goal of Both. me as an educator? I would, I would say I, I would be interested in the answer to that from Charlotte Mason's perspective okay. <laughs> and, and from your well, perspective. I, well, I will first say that I am not a purist. Okay. Um, so I'm probably not the best person to get you know, Charlotte Mason's perspective from, um, but my understanding, and as far as, as far as I know, um, is that my goal as an educator is to set a feast for my family, for Mm. my children. And so, um, the idea is that I present the highest quality and, um, you know, uh, most deep and, um, healthful is not the word I'm thinking of, but, um, uh, that the that the things I set before my children are a, of the highest quality, so that they then are learning to consume them um, in a way that really like cultivates a love for life and learning and the world. And um, so it's less about academic standards and measures, mm-hmm. more about really like giving a place where that like love for learning and um, uh, natural curiosity for the world really comes to life. So that they can, you know, it's like the lifelong learners. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. The but, um, teach a man how to fish. Yeah. Cliche. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how that, you know, there are actual curriculums that you can purchase. Um, and I've purchased a few things written, like a geography book written by Charlotte sure. Mason, things like that. But um, but I really hodgepodge a lot of other things. I use some classical curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, we do some other, you know, a lot of it's just book lists. You mm-hmm. just read these books with your family and... Um, through the process of narration between your children, that's how you gauge their understanding and comprehension and their communication skills. And um, it has a lot less to do with book reports and things like that. Yeah, yeah. How um, how does assessment come in in your in your approach and mm-hmm. in that entire world? Well, uh, I mean, in, like legally speaking, in mm-hmm. every state is different. And mm-hmm. so, in Ohio, thankfully, we live in a state where you don't have to do standardized testing for homeschoolers. You can opt into it, but um, instead of that, you can do portfolio reviews. Okay. So a licensed Ohio educator approves your portfolio at yep. the end of the year and signs off that you've done you know, an acceptable amount of schoolwork for your child's capability, okay. basically. Um, so how we measure things, um, a lot of conversation back and forth with my kids. Mm-hmm. What do you remember from this story? Um, and... Um, you know, in math, uh, almost like word problem conversations. Um, yep. A lot of like checking whether my, or not my children have number sense, um, whether or not they understand how a number 25 works. Mm-hmm. How can you add to 25? How can you divide 25? What can you multiply to make 25? How can you multiply 25? How does this number work? Mm-hmm. That's more how math is taught rather than right. here's a worksheet. Show yep. me what you, what you know. Um, and... Assess, I mean, assessments in general are kind of a, a sticking point for a lot of homeschoolers. Yeah. People love them or they absolutely hate them. Yeah. Charlotte Mason folks tend to hate them <laughs> because, you know, we don't really believe that you can properly assess right. a child's, you know, intellect mm-hmm. based on a test or even one conversation. Right on. Tell, uh, tell me a little bit about an average day. Um, you and I are friends, mm-hmm. like, even though I don't see you all that much. I see you on social media. I see mm-hmm. you with the, out with your kids in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live uh, in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys don't live in the suburbs. You live in Cincinnati in the neighborhood of Over the Rhine, which is the neighborhood that we're in right now, which is a very uh, dense urban area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I sense and know that that's by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about the life that your kids lead on an average day. And I mean, literally the nitty gritty. Yeah. When, do you, when do you leave the house? When do you stay in the house? Mm-hmm. What do you do? What sorts of experiences are they getting that they don't know are learning? Mm-hmm. Um, well, unlike some homeschool families, we are actually up and out of bed in the morning. Kids don't wear pajamas all day. Um, we get up about 7.30, which is, according to some, a little late. Uh, but, you know, the kids get dressed. They make their bed. We go down for breakfast. Um, I, uh, I tend to feed my kids breakfast and then I send them into the other room while I kind of mentally prepare for the day and make myself some coffee. I sit down, I get ready. Um, and then I invite my kids into the kitchen for what we call like our morning basket time. Mm-hmm. 
which is our introduction to the day. And we do, uh, we pray for our day. We sometimes uh, sing a hymn or two. We do some scripture memorization. Um, but then we also do some music lessons. And so we'll do, like this year, I've been trying to teach my kids um, music theory through folk songs. So we have this book of folk music and we did, you know, like, this land is your land. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but looking at sheet music, teaching my kids, you know, how to read sheet music, what the notes mean, what the symbols mean, um, how to follow along, things like that. So we'll do um, music lessons. Sometimes we'll do a German lesson, which is hilarious because I don't actually speak German. Uh, but uh, we're learning it together. All right. And um, what else do we do in the morning? That's usually what we cover in the morning. Um, then we'll take a break. Um, give the kids a couple minutes to play. There's a lot of short lessons and lots of breaks mm-hmm. involved in the day. Um, and then we'll, we usually have like two series of lessons. One of them is like mostly independent work and one of them would be mostly group work. And a lot of that really depends on the logistics of the day. Oftentimes like when the baby is sleeping or something. Right. So, you know, like when a baby's super young and they sleep all day, you do whatever you want to when mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, but now you know, like my son takes an afternoon nap. So if we were doing school during the summer, we would save our group lessons for the afternoon. We would do our um, right. independent lessons in the morning because I don't have the attention to give to my kids in the morning. Yep. So anyway, the independent lessons are things like math, um, reading, copy work. Um, so, you know, like teaching spelling and penmanship, for example, is taught with um, actual uh, pieces of literature things that we're learning, maybe the scripture we're memorizing or a poem we've been reading. Um, but that's what they do for copy work. So math, copy work, reading, um, and then that's usually it for the independent lessons. And so my two oldest kids will do those things mostly by themselves with me kind of bouncing back and forth between them. And then we take a break. Um, usually if, if we're staying home for the day, they'll play outside. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a neat little backyard. It's not much, but whatever. And they play out front as well. Um, they play by themselves. I basically ignore them for a while. And sometimes they eat lunch outside. Sometimes they don't. Um, and then the other set of lessons would be things like history and geography and science. And we do those all as a group because those are things that can be, you know, cheered mm-hmm. in the way you communicate. They don't have to be taught separately. Um, and some of that stuff is done out of the house and some of that stuff is done, if it's a nice day, we'll go to the park and we'll sit and we'll do our science lesson in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end, after taking a long break as well in the afternoon, we do um, tea time a couple days a week. And that's when we do just like general reading literature, any um, good books that we're reading or poetry lessons. Sometimes we'll do art study, like study an artist for a term. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband tends to do the art lessons, so anything like hands-on, if they're learning how to paint or sculpt, my husband's the fine artist, so he does, he handles all that, and that's done at night when he's home. Okay. Um, but that's like what a day at home looks like. Mm-hmm. But one day a week, we do a co-op school where the kids get dropped off for four hours, and they do some of those other like riches, mm-hmm. um, uh, poetry, and they're learning how to, like the waltz, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Um, Poetry and music and, and dance and things like that. And then, so one day is co-op day. There's usually at least one day a week where we do like a thing around the neighborhood. We'll go to the library, just take the afternoon or take our lunch and go to the park for three hours, you know, and play and walk around. But then we also take days to go outside the city. So we'll go on a hike for half the day or go to a museum, you yep. know, outside of the neighborhood. Um, and in those in those experiential times, are you thinking about it in terms of you mentioned unschooling mm-hmm. before, and for people that haven't had are familiar with that term, my understanding of that, I don't mm-hmm. go super deep on it, is that life is the greatest educator, and that by exposing your children to life, they're going to live. And I think the positive and maybe negative perception of unschooling is that there is no curriculum yeah. that they'll learn everything they need to know by being exposed to the world. Yeah. Which sounds like a, a beautifully utopian idea. Oh, yes. And also certain people hearing that and just It probably just works horrified. for like a few people. Yeah. I mean, it, it might work for a lot of people. Um, but no, that, I mean, 
sometimes what you know for example hiking mm-hmm. right i'm i really love hiking i love being out in the woods especially fall and spring of every year we spend a lot of time out in the woods as a as a family and a lot of that time is intentional mm-hmm. um but not scripted okay you know what i mean yeah do you uh, go into it with an idea of here's what i'd like to accomplish every once in a while you know uh, there might be a certain place that i know has like a really great uh section of mulberry trees mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll go there when I know the mulberries. A lot of those around Yeah, well, exactly. You know, or um, it's wildflower season, and so I know that this park has these really great wildflowers, you know, or or, uh, if we're talking about birds or we're talking about apples or we're talking about, you know. So, like I said, intentional but not scripted. I'm not, Mm -hmm. like, walking around with a lesson, you know, oh, look at the oak tree and, you know. But we do have a few. Of the genus. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We do have a lot of really great books that sometimes they'll take along with us so that, you know, if we're seated afterwards and we're having our lunch or a snack or something, I can at least pull them out for reference. Some tree I don't recognize or something I'm not sure about. Um, And same thing, you know, with museums or local history. it might be intentional, you know, like, hey, we, well, for example, we, um, we did, we studied ancient history most of last year and then a little bit into this year. And I found out last year, you know, that Pyramid Hill mm-hmm. Sculpture Museum right. the, um, has this like ancient history museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has these like ancient sculptures. I had no idea they were there. And I mean, now granted, I took like four kids into this museum with these like ancient busts and the mosaics and I'm thinking like these poor people think I'm nuts but they did very well um but it was like I mean it was like history come alive yeah yeah and it was it was awesome but that's Much the sort of thing textbook would have been yeah yeah and um so that was intentional you know but we also hung out in the park and my husband did some you know art lessons right. with the sculptures and because he knows how to do that sort of thing critiquing yeah. the all the the things, the big things. <laughs> the, I, you know, I think the culturally negative perceptions of homeschooling, I think, come down broad brush in a couple of different areas. Mm-hmm. One is like generally kind of hippy dippy, like rainbow children. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are out there doing God knows what. Mm-hmm. The other is a more religious based, like spiritual education that ignores mm-hmm. the realities of the world and science and. Mm-hmm. and history you and john your husband are intellectual people you're spiritual people mm-hmm. um but you're you're uh and i'm sorry that i'm drawing a distinction between <laughs> the two of these but i feel like i need to culturally as well um you're people who value the arts you're people who value intellectual discussion mm-hmm. and intellectual <clears throat> rigor do you find that you get lumped in to negative perceptions a lot that you don't feel like you belong to or Maybe the question is just how do you how do you respond to me phrasing both of those? Um, well, I think living in the city gives us a lot of credibility hmm. with people, intentionally or not. Um, but that doesn't mean that we. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean that we couldn't, you know, end up isolating our children and never exposing them to the world. I mean, you can still isolate yourself in the city. Um, It's not a fear of mine, but I think it's a general fear of homeschool. Um, You know, I... uh, That lack of socialization. Yeah. I've never felt really threatened by assumptions, Mm -hmm. I guess, of people. Um, Just period. I mean, I'm sure I'm conscious of them, but I don't feel defensive Mm -hmm. if anything i feel like if you if you really believe in what you're doing and you feel really great about it like you know a better a a better way to to tell folks about that is 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 not in defending yourself but in just like living it out you know the way that it is and i think if if that proves people wrong then it does and if not then who cares (laughs) you know and i think for you know for some people we are um fanatics and we're fundamentalists and some people probably do think we're, you know, the conservative um, stereotype. Know, scary, yeah, stereotype. Yeah. And um, but I would say those people don't really know us or really understand us. And, and likewise, the other side. You know, I mean, for some people, we're like way too out in the world. Um, and our children are like daily exposed to all sorts of crazy stuff. And yeah, just and, living in over the Rhine. And 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 that's how I I I would 
you know, I mean, the whole urbanism and city living conversation is like a totally different bag. But I, I mean, I so buy that. Like, I, I buy urbanism and, and city living with all its difficulties and whatever. You know, like I said, that's another conversation. But like, because I so buy into that, I think that like, Homeschooling just comes alongside that so well. And if there's any place that you would want to teach your kids, mm. it would be in a city, especially a small city that's like really accessible and um, where on a daily basis you can be engaged with it all. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we don't neatly fit into any of those boxes. Um, um, but I do feel, and you know, I feel like kin with those people on all mm -hmm. sides, you know. Yeah, there's a lot to be shared, like, a lot yeah, of crossover. I feel like there is a lot that we have in common, and um, especially as homeschool gets more popular, um, there are so many different, you know, niche homeschool circles right, right. that uh, you really can find, like, your people. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like we're starting to find those people. Um, who really fit into a box all entirely our own. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I still do feel really like kin with a lot of those others right as well. So how does all of that, um, and there's a lot that we're leaving out. I mean, there's, you know, tons of studies about uh, what the work that homemakers do, that uh -huh. stay-at-home moms do, um, apart from the work of homeschooling. We do not have a housekeeper. Okay. <laughs> Nor a nanny for my baby. Yeah. I don't hire a wet nurse at night. Right. Yeah. Which, okay, anyway. <laughs> which co no, which is both, um, as you even said before, sort of an economic reality mm -hmm. and comes with, comes with sacrifices and benefits. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in what, if anything, that creates in terms of, a, a, of a, an understanding um, on your behalf of sort of where you fit in or don't fit into how the world values work to mm -hmm. how our culture values these things and how much of that is, is um, <clears throat> conscious and how much of it you just slough off and don't actually care about participating in. Hmm. Um, I mean, my, I think we're at like an interesting time in history where women have never felt more empowered to do something other than motherhood. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, I have, I have all sorts of both popular and unpopular <laughs> opinions about that, you know. Um, for me, it's really a mixed bag, you know, feminism and women's, you know, rights and all this stuff. And, um, but what I can say is that, uh, you know, I totally affirm the idea that women are more than mothers, you know? So, when, but when it comes to the, like, the nitty-gritty of what that looks like and what work looks like in this new age where you can do anything you want, mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, there are some people who are really fighting against the idea that motherhood is anything special, that it really is work that is worthy of you know, devotion. Mm. And, then the, and, and then on the flip side, there are all these people that are like grasping for validation mm -hmm. that like, yes, this is work. This is something that's worth doing and giving myself to. Um, and, you know, I think, I think there's a, I think one thing, one, one error that we have in the way that we view women and work and motherhood and all that jazz is that like, Somewhere along the line, motherhood and this thing of like caring for your children or being the primary caregiver of your children became like a, something that was more an accessory to who we were rather than an identity, which I understand where that comes from because I, I understand like the, the frailty of that identity that's only built on motherhood, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I think what you do when you make the work of motherhood a side gig to your other career is that then those women who do choose to be a homemaker or a, a, a mother full-time or, you know, which is not even really the right way to say it, but um, is that it, it sort of devalues the, the, the hard work that it really is. Um, so, 
You know, I do sometimes feel like I have to fight the need to, to like, sell people. I swear, like, I'm doing this all myself. Like, I'm not hiring help, you know? Right. Um, but I don't, I shouldn't even need to, I shouldn't even need to defend myself in that. Um, because, so what if I would hire a housekeeper to do some of that work for me? Yeah. There'd be nothing wrong with that. Um, that might be wise, you know? I mean, heck, if you see my house, you'd probably say, maybe. <laughs> maybe you, maybe you should hire somebody. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that. let's think this. Um, but... No, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, there's, there's, uh, I think there's a, um, I don't know that either of us are experts on gender studies and, uh-huh. you know, the, I mean, the culture, obviously I am, cultural but. discussion. Well, obviously you are. <laughs> By either of us, I'm at my, <laughs> yeah, me and my drink. Yeah. Um, no, but um, obviously there's a, there's a sort of necessary reaction to cultural forces mm-hmm. that have fairly aggressively attempted to keep women from doing mm-hmm. anything that they wanted to do other than that. Yeah. So that's a necessary reaction mm-hmm. to that. The, the side effect of that is, mm-hmm. yeah, it has this negative impact on women mm-hmm. who choose Mm-hmm. to do that out of out of a desire a deep desire for that to actually mm-hmm. be who they are and that's yeah. part of that's part of the discussion like the um the discussion of how does the choices that you've made and are making in your life relate to your understanding of work mm-hmm. informs a comprehensive understanding of work which i am i think over the course of having these discussions with people sort of gaining this progressive realization that one of the things that comes out is that is that a lot of us are obsessed with this question mm-hmm. with the relationship between work and identity mm-hmm. and it's kind of cool that you are not mm-hmm. um that the context of how you talk about this doesn't need to happen within the context of well my work mm-hmm. is my identity and the lack of it is really troubling yeah. to me well you know and i will qualify this by saying that i do i mean i do still pick up side work mm-hmm. you know i i'm a freelance writer i write i write on the side it's sort of my couple hours a week gig when i have it and um you know i sometimes wonder to myself like am i only doing this because i don't feel like i'm doing enough like hmm. because i have to have that qualifier when i meet people that i'm a stay-at-home mom oh but i also write on the side you yeah, know yeah, yeah. because that validates me somehow in this world where right motherhood is not enough and i think you know, it's like a conscious second guessing myself, like what you know, what are my intentions in doing this? Yeah. I think no, you know, I love writing, I'm a writer. This you know, it's okay for me to be doing this. Right, you get joy from that. <laughs> exactly. It's not um, something but that it you is hate a, doing. But it is a valid question. Like what if you know, what if for the rest of my life all I could answer was I'm a mom? Mm-hmm. Like that is it. This Would you is be what okay I do. Would I be okay with that? And if not, why? Like why is that not mm-hmm. enough? Yeah. Like what does it say about us as a culture if we're willing to validate a woman who becomes an elementary school teacher or who becomes a firefighter or a physician, but a woman who, you know, takes five or 10 or 20 years of her life to yep. stay home and care for her family is just not okay. Yep. Um, you know, and I feel like I've worked really hard to, to try to, you know, not shame women who have not made that decision while also being able to validate that is what I see as like really a great Move, yeah. you know a great decision because I don't only think that like I'm the only person on the planet that should be doing this you know I do think that this is like a great thing for people to do you know yeah um, and you're not doing it under duress you're not yeah. doing it because you have uh, I think some women do it mm-hmm. because they feel shamed to not do it mm-hmm. they live in a tradition um, whether it be a conservative religious tradition mm-hmm. whether it be a familial tradition that says for whatever reason, no, this is the only thing that you're supposed to do. And if you don't love it mm-hmm. enough to only do this, then there's something wrong with you. Well, and I think there's also this idea that, like, um, this, um, uh, what am I, uh, not a misunderstanding, but this, um, uh, people believe that the women that are doing this, like, they had no other option. Right. Or, there was nothing better they could do at their time or that they or they didn't have the skills to do anything or, else. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. There's nothing better. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes I meet or I talk to friends who are kind of like, oh, yeah, I'd love to teach my own kids. I just don't feel like I could do it. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like I can do it either, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I'm not doing this because I think I'm like the perfect person for the job. Like, I yeah. believe in this and yeah. that's why I do it. And I, and I think that's why it comes back to the idea of work because if we believe that motherhood and educating your kids and home keep, homemaking and all that stuff is like frivolous mm-hmm. side work, mm-hmm. 
then who gives a rip who does it? Like, hire it out, you yeah. know? Assign it to somebody else. But if we believe that there's, like, something really important, life-giving for a family, for someone to be doing this, mm-hmm. um, then it doesn't matter what else you could be doing. Like, you're still doing something important, something valuable, something that when you are, you know, 50 years old and somebody asks you, so what'd you do with your professional career? You yeah, can yeah. say, like... Yeah. Screw my professional career. Like, I, I took care of my family. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that it's easy or that I ever <laughs> feel like I'm qualified to do this. But I know I'm qualified because I have a family. And, yeah. and so I'm Do you have, Do you it. ever have second thoughts? <laughs> uh, I have second thoughts. Um, I mean, not necessarily. I think that if I could go back in time, I would probably do more preparation you know, I, I always knew that I wanted kids, but I was not the kind of, of woman to, like, dream or fantasize about my family. Like, mm-hmm. I've never, I've just never been that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as how that actually looked to, like, get married and have kids and raise them, like, I had no idea what that yeah. would look like. Um, and so a lot of it really just has been, like, stumbling through it. Right. I mean, especially financially. I mean, geez, like, I think... You know, and a lot of this is the sign of the times, you know. I mean, the economy of our world is so different than it was when I was even a child that I think I just had no idea what it required to have, you know, for example, like a primary um, breadwinner mm-hmm. and a stay-at-home mom, like financially, the economics of that, how does that work out? All that stuff is like such a mystery and takes a long time to work through and is really hard. So stuff like that, I don't second-guess the decision. I just... I think, like, I had no idea how complicated it was. And then right. also just educating kids. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not, like, I love my children. Um, I enjoy, you know, most of what we do. You know, but I am not, like, a particularly motherly person. Like, I'm not, there's a whole lot about parenting that I was not prepared for. And yeah. so, like, the daily. There you are, weren't a, uh, I'm, I'm asking oh, this yeah, is the yeah. question. You weren't necessarily a woman that like had grown up taking a whole, care of a whole bunch of kids. And Mm-mm. then when it came to taking care of yours, you knew exactly oh, no, what no. you were doing. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's, there, I think I'm an intuitive person by nature. So I think thankfully hmm. I worked through a lot of those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's full of surprises, especially as, you know, I, I tend to be more of a introvert. I need a lot of time alone. Um, you know, be home with four kids, for it's not going well. Um, you know, but then you, I mean, even complicating it further with having a husband, I mean, geez, my kids aren't my only, Yeah. you know, yep. they aren't all that's there for me to, you know, be with. And so, <coughs> excuse me. So it's just, there's a lot of moving pieces, Yeah. you know, and um, so no, I don't, I mean, I don't regret the decision to do this. I think I just had no idea mm-hmm. how ill-prepared I was for it, you know, and thankfully it's all, you know, kind of come together, at least with some semblance of peace. And You said a couple of minutes ago you were talking about, um, you know, that this is a choice that a woman might make for, for 10 or 15 or 20 mm-hmm. years of their lives. I think there's two, there's two things in that. Number one is that it doesn't, it isn't necessarily the choice that you will make forever. Mm-hmm. There may be a time where you... Well, you know, there's going to be a time where your kids are out of the house. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you think ahead to that time and think about um, any any relationship to the work that you've done before um, in any intentional way. And then I guess the second thing is maybe an, an observation rather than a question, which is that this is not a question that men typically have to answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we we get to make our decisions about our careers uninterrupted mm-hmm. unless we are one of the few, there are an increasing number of men who decide to stay home mm-hmm. with their kids. Be, yeah. um, but it's, it is a still a particularly gendered question yeah. um, that I don't think uh, it's possible to really sympathize or empathize with because we don't have to make it. Yeah. Uh, that's just an observation, but I think it's important to hear, to hear you discuss these things yeah. because we just go on with our lives and, yeah. And understand it. But anyway, to the, to the first part, like, what do you think about that in terms of the future? Do you think, um, do you have an ambition that you cultivate now for when that time comes? You, you clarified earlier that you haven't fully let go. That number one, it wasn't a hard start and stop. Mm-hmm. When you stopped 
working, mm-hmm. like you have ever stopped yeah. working, uh, <laughs> and, and that you continue to do stuff. So mm-hmm. do you anticipate that there would be a time where you would just take on more of the kind of work that you're, that you're currently doing? Mm-hmm. Or do you look forward in any way intentionally to a time where you say, oh, I have an ambition that I want to do, and it will just have to wait until this time is over. But when it's over, I, there's this thing I want to do. You're yeah. also, I mean, you're also a songwriter. You're mm-hmm. also a, a musician and recording artist. Like, I don't know how any of those things factor into at all, other than picking <laughs> up the guitar well. for, <laughs> yeah, the, for yeah. the kids these days. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have a lot of ambition, which is, um, <laughs> you know, creatively and academically and, you know, occupationally. I mean, there are so many things that I would love to be doing now and in the future. And, and um Part of the, the struggle for me also with having like a fourth child was the thought that um, regardless of how reasonable it was for any of those things to play out, I knew that with every child you add yep. a few years of commitment and um, yep. attachment and sets the time that I really, back. yeah, that I really had to get, I had really had to be okay with that. And mm. um, so when I think about the future, you know, I do think that part of the reason why I keep writing is to keep, you know, my chops up so to speak. Um, You know, I'm not writing much music these days, but I'm still playing music at church and elsewhere and folk music at home. But, you know, when I look into the future, you know, so much of my idea of success and achievement has, has really been shaped by having a family. And I'm still not really there. Like, I'm still not, I still really haven't accepted or, like, emotionally ascended to what I have cognitively (laughs) ascended to, which is the idea that, like, my future can still be my family. When I send my kids off to college, you know, if they go to college, which is a whole other conversation, obviously, is... Like, my goal is not to send them off into the world and never be a part of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And They're always going to be... When I think about them being married, having Mm -hmm. children, raising those kids... Um, you know, they will be free to do whatever they want. But, you know, if there is any way that I can help make that possible, you know, I think that that would be a great role to step into later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to be a babysitter for my kids every day, but, you know, to say they want to educate their own kids, you know, being able to help them in a tutor sort of situation or... And having um, the experience yeah, to do that. Or, or for other families that aren't my own. I mean, when my kids, you know, I, I've really leaned on the wisdom of other moms that have gone before me whose kids have now aged out of their homeschool. Like, and they are the ones who are now helping people like me go through those first few years. And I think being able to mentor other people in a similar situation is probably something that I I intend to do. Um, You know, I mean, because we've also talked about, like, fostering and adopting in, like, a second season of our family, which is, like, a whole, oh, man, that's a bag, you know, a bag of worms. (laughs) But, but, you know, say that becomes one of our next, you know, endeavors as a family. I mean, that's a full-time, that's another commitment. That's, you know, raising another set of kids. Yeah. Um, So it may never end. (laughs) Or... You know, I, I love writing. I want to write. I would I would love to continue writing. I would love to um, take some more classes, some grad cla- grad school classes. Um, you know, or I don't know. I'm teaching this like songwriting workshop, which is I just, teaching is not the right word. It's more facilitating type of thing. But th- this is something I've never even considered doing. And I'm thinking like this is kind of cool, like being a facilitator for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I have my husband. I've also like tons of other crazy ideas about starting a school and opening a camp and uh, whatever. I mean, I could go on and on like a farm. I don't know. You want to buy a farm? Um, So I have no idea what that future looks like, but I do know that like, like I said, my paradigm Mm -hmm. of adult life is so different than it was. Um, And I'm more willing to accept the idea that like, maybe this is it. Like maybe my family is the thing. Hmm. Um, and maybe like, you know, we have, we have like a small family business that we, you know, a contracting business we do on the side. And I'm like, you know, this could morph and and grow and change. And this could be like, what have you had to let go for that to be the case? Like what was true about your, your expectations and beliefs about yourself 10 years ago that Um, isn't anymore? I, I am, well, first of all, I'm not good at collaboration. (laughs) 
just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of building something with someone else, I mean, this is like a perpetual struggle of marriage for me, not just parenting, is building something together. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a, 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 the future success of a family is not, you know, me building this kingdom here all with my yourself, kids right. and, and you know but it's like this whole this bigger picture that we're all building together and um for someone who really values independence and you know i was the kid who never wanted to work in groups as a, you know school projects as a kid i would rather do the work by myself you don't play well with others. i don't play well with others i really don't and so you know i mean marriage is hard enough for me let alone like yeah. building a family vision yeah. <laughs> for the future is is tricky um, because I really have other things that I think that I'm much more qualified for, you know, or that I would do much better or that I'd get all, I'd, I want to put my name on it by myself, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I want it to be my name, not, yeah. um, and that's something I've had to really die to and, hmm. you know, um, and that doesn't mean that there aren't things that I do by myself. I mean, there's plenty I do by myself, but, um, but that's just not, it's not the, um, I don't know. It's not going to be the pinnacle of my Whatever, you know, I'm not going to retire by myself to right. Massachusetts, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be building something else with other people. And that says so much about you that the, <laughs> that, that, that sentence ended with Massachusetts. Yeah. I don't know where that came from. Actually. <laughs> I think I once took one of those tests. It was like, what city do you belong in? And it said Boston or something. That, that both makes sense. And it, and it's very telling, <laughs> telling about who you are. Uh, yeah. What, um, maybe, maybe last question, maybe last set of questions. What does all this do to your um, your assessment of because you're you're um, you're outside of what would be considered the the mainstream mm-hmm. of a typical understanding of work, mm-hmm. which is why I wanted to talk to yeah. you about this. What does that do when you look back at the mainstream or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you want to call it, like? What are your senses of the way that people are relating to this question of, that we're talking about on this podcast of mm-hmm. meaningful work yeah. for yourself and how you think about what's meaningful and what not, what's not meaningful and how you think of what the culture at large is, is conceptualizing as meaningful? Yeah. Um, it's a lot. It's a big yeah. question. Um, you know, I... Because I'm an, uh, such an idealist, and I think so much of what I do is really motivated by these bigger questions of mission and vision and values and all that stuff, um, I think good work has always been more important to me than anything else. And I, when I, you know, when I talk to people about what they do or what they're into, um, you know, I, I try to be a lot more interested in like what it is that that really motivates them and what what's really important to them? Like what, what are they, what are they building? What are they creating? What are they? Um, and sometimes that is their work. Sometimes that's their occupation. Sometimes it's not. And, right. you know, I wish we lived in a world where everyone could do something that was really important to them. Um, and I know we don't, you know, I mean, my husband works in, I mean, he works at, for a, in, in affordable housing. I mean, he's doing really good work, but it is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it takes... John's a project manager for Habitat for yeah, Humanity. Yeah, he's the, um, yeah, field operations manager. Okay. And he, so he's managing these, you know, all these affordable housing projects. And um, it, it takes everything out of you. And if you didn't believe that it was good work, it would not be worth it. It's definitely not economically viable, you know? Which well, is the truth um, across the nonprofit spectrum. Yeah, and, um, and so when I, you know, when I kind of look at my peers... And what is motivating them to do their work? You know, I, I get less and less interested in, you know, who's making the most money or um, moving up the ladder or working toward retirement. You know, I want to know, like, what um, what good work they're doing. And, like, if... And I know plenty of people who are doing really lame work for their job, you know. They're paying the bills with whatever they can do to pay mm-hmm. the bills. But, you know, they've got this other thing that they really love. The side that, hustle. That, yeah, yeah. That, that really gets them up in the morning and, and <clears throat> makes it worth it. And, um, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard because you, you have to pay the bills. And I, I'm really sympathetic to people who are motivated by that sort of corporate 
moving up, making money, you know, comfortable retirement sort of um, paradigm. I get it. Like, I'm very sympathetic to that. Um, but, like, those are not the people that I want to spend time with, yeah. you know? Um, I'm sure they're lovely people, but that's it's a, diff- a completely different paradigm of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm much more interested in the guy who's, like, you know, burning himself out every day, doing whatever he needs to do to support his family so that they can, like, make this awesome brood of kids or so that they can have this family side thing or so that he can, like, build this thing in his garage, yeah. you know, in the meantime, or or that he has this dream for 30 years down the road. And, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, and then just, like, pragmatically speaking, I, I mean, I love the idea of, like, Vocations, vocational school and technical school and I love this move from you know thinking that in the future we might be moving away from more uh, you know college the, the college is a necessity and these I mean I think liberal arts are great but um, I love like reclaiming vocational schools mm-hmm. for more than just the vocation itself for what it really does to who we are and right. the value of hard work and, and creating things with your hands and I, you know I, there's it's a big question I guess <laughs> No, it's it, it, and that is the answer. I mean, that's like these, those are the things that I'm thinking about in the podcast. Inherent within your answer is some of the unfortunate reality of our culture is that yeah. the guy you described, who's raising his wonderful brood, is burning himself out. Yeah. Like even the language that we all carry yeah. is not is that it doesn't seem to be possible to do both um, what you love and and what is. Uh, Lucrative, yeah, and that's not always true. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are doing, who are either doing something lucrative that they love, or who have convinced themselves that the lucrative yeah. thing is actually what they love. But there's, there's way too much of that reality that in order to do something that you truly consider meaningful, it either has to be sought deeply within a within a work context that other, that doesn't otherwise explicitly facilitate it, mm-hmm. or that it has to be the side hustle. Yeah. Um, because the economic demands of sort of where our culture is at right now are <clears throat> that if you're going to have two people who work for nonprofits mm-hmm. or one person who works for a nonprofit and the other who stays home with the kids, that you're going to be on the lower end of the yeah. economic spectrum. Well, and I think sacrifice is not something that is easy for any of us. And um, it's also not something that we were told to expect to have to do. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you reach a point you know, as a young adult or, you know, when you're looking at your career options and you think, like, what what are your priorities going to be for the future? And I, you know, um, you prioritize what's important. And I think there are a lot of people who prioritize comfort and security. And there are a lot of people who prioritize ideals or um, creativity or, you know. Um, and I think being willing to admit that like the way that you're building your life and the work that you're finding is a balance between priorities and you know in our in our family this is what we've prioritized and so we we sacrifice some of these other creature comforts or you know things that might make other parts of our lives easier for the sake of doing this thing yeah um and not everybody will have the same priority you know and that's okay um it's just it's different you know it's a different paradigm of importance well it's valuable i appreciate you thank you (laughs) taking the time to tell us about it i i really do and uh our best to john and uh and to your kids and thanks for sharing your experience because it's a valuable one and part of the whole picture thank you this episode of the distiller was recorded live at sundry and vice located at 18 west 13th street at the corner of 13th and republic in the over the rhine neighborhood of cincinnati ohio Sundry and Vice blends West Coast cocktail ethos with apothecary history. It's a beautiful place, and we want to thank owners Julia Pettiprin, Stuart King, and Ryan Rizzo for hosting this episode, and our bartender Joe for the fantastic old fashions. They were just the thing on a 95-degree afternoon in the city. You can visit thedistillerpodcast.com where we have a link to Sundry and Vice's website. There you can see photos of their amazing space and a menu of their wonderful house cocktails. 
Thanks again so much to Liz McEwen for joining us on the show. As we mentioned, Liz is an extremely talented songwriter and singer in addition to everything else she does. And we have a link to Liz's website on our website where you can hear her beautiful songs. And I think you can even still buy her album. So please do so. She's great. Thanks, Liz. The Distiller is produced and recorded and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan, and our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts and on our YouTube channel where we have closed caption versions of our audio podcasts for the hearing impaired. Please subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And it would please us greatly if you'd rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. Ratings are gold for a show like ours. They really do help us get the word out. And as always, you can download episodes and find information, including links, photos of the guests, a map of every show location, and you can get in touch with us all at thedistillerpodcast.com, or you can send us an email to mail at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can suggest people you think should be on the show to talk about their search for meaningful work, somewhere interesting we should record the show, or something interesting we should drink while doing it. And whether by email, on the website, or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we always love to hear from you. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.